Welcome to Banyan Books, Branches of Wisdom. Celebrating the joy of bright ideas and heartful lifelong learning. Branches of Wisdom is a series of intimate conversations with the world's most influential authors and visionaries. We explore spirituality and the human mind, ecology and culture. Most episodes are recorded with a live audience. You can join our live events and submit questions to your favorite guests. Check out our upcoming schedule at banyan.com. Since 1970, Banyan Books has been a rich oasis at the crossroads of wisdom and philosophy, offering resources for humanity's evolving paths. We're a locally owned independent bookstore in the heart of Vancouver's Kitsilano neighborhood. Visit us in person or shop online at banyan.com. Please subscribe, follow, like, and leave your reviews for the podcast. And now, enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Banyan Books Podcast. I'm your host, Ross McKeechee. Delighted that we're joined today by Dr. Jerry Lynch. Dr. Jerry Lynch, endearingly known as Doc J, first learned about extraordinary performance and excellence as a nationally ranked competitive athlete sponsored by Nike, running world-class times from 5,000 meters to the marathon, setting an American record in the half marathon, winning a national championship, and many other races against athletes half his age. He took what he learned about himself and life from his competitive days and parlayed it into a dynamic, successful career helping athletes and coaches in all sports to use his strategies to up their game and discover the best version of themselves. Doc J is the founder and director of Way of Champions, a human potential and performance consulting group helping others master the deeper inner game for sports, business, and life. His approach is deeply informed by the Eastern thought of Buddhism and Taoism, as well as Native American tradition and Western psychology. Dr. Lynch has been recognized as one of the top five in his profession in the US. In the past 30 years alone, he has helped guide 115 championship teams. Wow. With 55 final fours, resulting in 39 national championships at the collegiate and professional levels. That's incredible. He has worked with teams, coaches, and athletes in the NBA, pro lacrosse, major league soccer, and beyond. Dr. Lynch's work has been covered extensively by CBS, NBC, and PBS national television, as well as the New York Times, Oprah Magazine, Sports Illustrated, and Outside Magazine. He co-hosts the Way of Champions podcast, one of the top-rated podcasts in the world for coaches. The author of 15 books in over 10 languages, his titles, some of which have been bestsellers, include Thinking Body, Dancing Mind, Let Them Play, and Win the Day. Today, Dr. Jerry Lynch is with Banyan Books in conversation about his latest book titled The Competitive Buddha, How to Up Your Game in Sports, leadership, and life. In this book, Dr. Lynch shares insights on the application of Buddhist thought and practice, which lead to a total paradigm shift in how we look at competition, not just in sports, but in any aspect of life or leadership. 
He shows us how true competition is about showing up and empowering those around us to embody qualities like kindness, compassion, vulnerability, and love. It may sound like an oxymoron, but he elegantly demonstrates that those teams and leaders who practice these heart-centered ways of being are not only more likely to achieve great results, but will certainly serve everyone around them and grow into consistently better versions of themselves each and every day. If you'd like to learn more about our guest today and his Way of Champions, please visit his website, wayofchampions.com. Banyan community, please join me. A warm welcome for Dr. Jerry Lynch. Doc J, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. I uh, just, uh, every time I listen to someone read something like you've read, um, it humbles me uh, and, and, and I'm honored. Uh, <laughs> to say that I'm honored is, is a massive understatement right now. Uh, and, and the reason is, is because whoever thought that you could make a difference uh, by doing the work you're doing, and I continue to work and do what I do, not to make a living, but to make a difference. And uh, I've been blessed and fortunate, and uh, I, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, Ross, to, uh, to have me on here so that perhaps maybe I could say one thing that could maybe even help change the life of, of another person. So uh, I'm excited. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. And, and one of the reasons that excite me is I love supporting. Uh, I do a lot of book signings and things, and I love supporting independent bookstores, number one. But number two, and more importantly, is I love the Canadian people. Oh. And uh, I really do. Uh, Vancouver, I have such fond memories of, of times up in Vancouver and uh, we've established some really good friends and uh, you guys it just seems so reasonable to me <laughs> you know, in, a, in a world that, that sometimes doesn't make any sense the Canadian folks are just very reasonable people so I'm excited to be here actually oh thank you we're so excited to have you and I and I'm excited personally about about your work in this book uh, you know, I, in the past, I was a competitive athlete playing rugby and, and now, you know, being on a spiritual path and a practitioner, seeing how you've so elegantly brought this together is very exciting. So I wanted to start by asking, you cover it right up front, you know, is it an, isn't it an oxymoron, this idea of competition and Buddhism? So can we cover that up front? Oh, we better. <laughs> uh, I can't tell you how many uh, people who uh, who consider themselves uh, Buddhist, uh, when they saw that title, uh, before going into the book and understanding what it was, were very critical of that. Uh, like, how could I write a book in, about Buddha and talk about competition? Because in this world, uh, this world, the Western world at least, uh, Competition has gotten a bad rap. You, you'd have to agree with me, right? Yeah. Uh, competition is the antithesis of, of, a, of a Buddhist way. You know, it's fighting, coming against each other and what have you. But I did some research on that before I wrote this book. And I wouldn't have written it unless it was uh, true that the Buddha himself was quite an athlete. In fact, he was one of the first student athletes of all time. Uh, he was an amazing archer and uh, quite a horseman and uh, a wrestler, uh, I think maybe even undefeated, you know, never, never anyone could beat him. Uh, 
but the thing that I love most about uh, the Buddha way of looking at competition is uh, actually something I kind of knew, but it was confirmed when I, when I did my research. Uh, there's a word in, in Latin, uh, as a Catholic boy growing up in Catholic schools, we had to study Latin and I hated it. <laughs> but but uh, I, I can't tell you how much I abhorred studying Latin, but boy, did it teach me a lot. And, and one of the words that I learned a long time ago uh, in Latin was compatiere, and it, and it means to seek together. Imagine, right? Together, we seek our greatness. What's wrong with that picture? Well, I don't see anything bad about that at all. In fact, competing the Buddha way is about coming together and not being opponents, but being partners. And why do I want to partner with you, part, uh, partner with you, Ross? Because if you and I go out for a run together, uh, like tomorrow morning, and we run up this hill, uh, you'd have to agree with me that if, if you're in the lead and, and you're pushing me that, and I come after you, uh, I'm going to really find out. I'm going to be able to dig down deep inside and find out what I'm made of. And, and when, when all is said and done at the end of that run, I will have pushed myself to a place where I will be in better shape. Well, I will be a better runner as a result of that. So the Buddha way of competing was welcome the opponent. Ah, thank you for coming. I hope you brought your very best game. And now that you brought your best game, I promise you, I make a promise to you that I will give you my very best as well. And we come together and we raise our levels by competing with each other. And in that way, we come together and we compete and we find out, wow, I didn't know I was that good. And I didn't realize that I could do something like this. And it goes back and forth. So all those championship teams that you were impressed with, uh, I'm not surprised because they all competed that way. They would welcome their opponent at the end of a contest, they would go over and hug their opponents, not just shake their hands. And, and, and they would tell them, they would say, I'm so glad you showed up. You made me a better athlete because of it. Wow, I'm getting goosebumps just saying the, in my arms, just saying these words and you're nodding yes. I'm wondering what you're thinking, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it warms the heart and I get goosebumps too. Just thinking about that noble outlook of the opponent and that, that's true sportsmanship, isn't it? You know, it is. Uh, and, and all of the Western minds, we want all of us to be good sports. We want to have good sportsmanship. And uh, wow, uh, I don't know what it's like up in Canada, but down here, it's, it's crazy. It, I mean, you see parents at baseball games and soccer games, and they're yelling at the referee, and they're yelling at the, the judges, and, and they're telling their kids to do this and do that. And it's not the spirit of the Buddha. And it's not the spirit of compatiere. And so these hundred, I'm here to say, I have a testimony from 115 championship teams at all levels who practiced what, what I'm preaching. And uh, they did quite well with it. And then, and then there's a bunch of teams that I worked with that never won a championship. But they reached levels that nobody ever believed they could reach, even if it wasn't advertised. And the bottom line, which is not measured, we sent a lot of people out into the world who were better people because they understood partnership. They understood 
cooperation. They understood what competition really meant. They had compassion for those who lost because they knew what it felt like when they lost. They had cooperation, they had connection, there was caring. And all of this goes into the Buddha. And, 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 and this is why I wrote this book. And, and, and so once I was able to uh, make these points real clear to the, uh, the people who consider themselves Buddhists, they were thrilled. They were like, I didn't know that. And I said, well, I'm glad I'm here to help, uh, to help everyone uh, to understand that we can learn from the Buddha, the happy Buddha, right? Yeah. One of the really cool things you, I love how you talk about on the cover, you've got the, the Enzo symbol, the circle, mm -hmm. and you, you, you illustrate how you get your teams to work with the power of the circle. I'm wondering if you can highlight that for our audience. Oh boy, gee, this is going to take an hour. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, well, that, that's right. Yeah, yeah of course, uh, Enzo, en Enzo or Enso, however you want to pronounce it, uh, means circle. So it's redundant to say the endo Enzo circle. Uh, it's either Enzo or the circle. Um, but uh, the circle's been around for a long time. Let's talk about the circle for a minute. The, I mean, Native American tradition, I mean, when you look at the teepee, right? It's a circle, the floor. And then you look up in the teepee and what do you see? You see a circle up there and that's the chimney, right? And, and you look at the fireplace and the fireplace is a circle. And if you've ever gone into a, a Native American camp, all the tents are in the circle. All the circular tents are in the circle. So it goes way back to the Celtic tradition as well. Uh, you know, when you look at a Celtic cross, there's a circle right in the middle of it between right here. And uh, uh, Buddhism, of course, uh, the circle, the Enzo, uh, and, and Taoist, uh, the circle is extremely important. There's so much, there's so much richness and there's so much to be gained from, from absorbing the circle. And all of my championship teams were marinated in the circle. I marinated them in the circle. They got to understand that that's how we come together and form a united, a unity, a connection, a bond of something greater than any one of us individuals. And when you're in the circle, you know, the circle is the letter O. And, and of course that's, to me, that stands for oneness. And when I'm working with a team or I'm just competing myself as I had for many years, it's oneness of heart, oneness of soul, one purpose, one goal, together, connected. And that's when we realize our very best version of ourselves. And of course, when I'm looking at a circle on the cover of that book, when I'm looking at that circle, it reminds me that, you know what, when I'm standing in the circle, no one's ahead of me and, and, and no one's in back of me, no one's behind. No one's above me and no one's beneath me. So we have this sense of, of unified effort and, and, and it's a symbol of that connection. And, you know, it's, it reminds me of the journey, our journey in life. So many people look at it as linear. It starts here and it ends here. That's not the way it happens. 
the way it happens from my observation, at least this is my observation, is it's circular. It's a circle. And it's a constantly rising circle. So last year, my circle, I was here. And this year, since I went around that circle, I'm a little higher. And of course, at my age now, I'm higher than I was 30 years ago or 40 years ago. And I could look down and I could see where I came from. So I have a great understanding of this journey. You know, every, every March, there's, there's a March, what's today's date? The 18th? 19th? 19th, yeah. 19th? Next year, there'll be a March 19th. Where will you be? You know, you're not going to be down the road. You're still going to be here, but you go, you know, and the sun sets and the, and the sun rises and the moon sets and the moon rises and so forth. But it's a, such an appropriate, such an appropriate uh, image of, of that oneness of heart and a reminder that we're all united. No beginning, no ending. And for sports, OMG, right? It's like when you hit a baseball in this country, it's a round tripper. It's called a round tripper. You round the bases. In golf, you play a round of golf, don't you? Oh, yeah. And it, you were a rugby player. There are, ter there are a tremendous amount of, of uh, references uh, to the circle. Maybe some of your offenses that you ran in rugby were circular in nature. In nature. Looping. Looping, right? Yes. Circular in nature. In, in, uh, nature. Uh, so there's so many reasons why the circle brings us back to our, our core, who we are. And uh, so it's a beautiful symbol. And that's why, that's why I adorned that cover with it. That was my creation. I mean, I didn't do the drawing, but I, I said, I need that Enzo on that cover. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really, it was inspiring to me reading that, that passage because as an athlete, thinking about that moment where you stand in a circle with your teammates and you connect and you, you come together in preparation, whether yeah. it's for a game or practice, that, that was, those are the moments that I really remember from uh, competitive, competitive sports. There's so much unity there that happens. I'll bet you when you stood in that circle, in the rugby circle, you all had your hands like this around each other's shoulders, right? Yes. Connected. And, and, you know, no one else was entered. No one else could enter that circle. It was pretty, pretty much of a family, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. And, 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 and so that was a, that was a feeling of strength. You know, when you come into a relationship, regardless what you want to call your relationship, like in my marriage, you know, we, we, we share rings and bracelets and they're circular and that's the bond. And, and so, uh, yeah, we can never forget this. This is good. Yeah. Speaking of relationship, the section, I really like this, this idea of awakening the relationship dance. And I, I couldn't help but think about like my, my conception. And I think for many people, the old paradigm of sports and coaching is this old surly almost drill sergeant like coach who's yelling at the players to try and get the best out of them, pushing them. You know, it's, it's hardly um, uh, a circle. Like you're not really standing in a circle with that vision of a coach or a leader. No, not at all. No, it, the leaders, the leaders standing in front of you, they're ahead of you and you're in back. And yet, and then all the guys, they're, they're in back of each other too. 
Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, I interrupted. No, 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 please. You make a great point here. Yeah, so I, I, what, what comes to mind for me is just wondering, over your career, you mentioned that you've seen a huge, you call it a sea change, paradigm shift in the way that leadership styles, coaching, and team environments are created. And you use this term, awakening the relationship dance. Can you tell us about that? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I can definitely talk about that because to me, uh, you're, you're, you're bringing up some brilliant questions here and, and making some amazing points. Uh, I can see that you re read the book and you really get it. And, and uh, you know, because you're asking the question, as I do, that uh, th there's only one, one game that you need to win in life. There's a lot of games out there, but there's only one game you need to win, and that is the relationship game. And when you win the relationship game, everything else is possible. I can guarantee there's a lot of possibilities. If you do not win the relationship game, I will guarantee there are no possibilities. That's how drastic that is. I don't know what the possibilities are because that's the future. And I can create that roadmap to that future by my thoughts and how I think. But I can't go into the past. And, and my whole concept of, of the relationship game is not new. Uh, you know, 2,500 years ago, there we go again, back in the days of the Buddha, back, back in the days of Tao, Lao Tzu. Uh, they talked about servant leadership. Servant leadership. Wow. Think about that. Wait a minute. Hold on. I'm a leader. I'm a leader. I'm not supposed to serve. They're supposed to serve me. I tell them what to do. Servant leadership is really getting a lot of traction now. It's more, it's probably more important in this world today than it ever was. It was always important. But I have a whole chapter in this book called Servant Leadership. And Ross, I'll winning it's all about winning the relationship game so if let me let me tell a story please to to to, dem, to demonstrate and illustrate what you you know the answer to your question and i'll shorten the story because it's a really touching story for me and i don't want to go into too much detail but uh, i remember the opportunity i had working at the university of north carolina i was working with various teams down there and i one of my heroes uh, Coaching-wise and leadership-wise, uh, was a coach, Dean Smith, Coach Dean Smith, and uh, he was an example, perfect example of of uh, servant leadership. I didn't really get it, what this was about. I read about it, but I didn't really feel it in my heart until I set up a meeting to meet with him in person. I thought he was retired, but he kept coming to the campus in his office every day. And one of the coaches said, if you want to meet Dean Smith, you just go down and make an appointment. I said, wow. So I went down and made an appointment. I thought it would take three or four weeks because he's still busy. And the secretary said, no, I'll go down and get him right now. He'll come out and meet you, Dr. Lynch. He'd love to see you. And sure enough, he came out immediately. And he said, sit down over here. He said, what an honor it is for me to meet you. 
I've heard so many things about what you do. The lacrosse coach, when I passed Jenny, she told me all the, all the wonderful things you're doing with the students and how you're really helping them, even off the lacrosse field in, in life and what have you. And he said, that's pretty impressive to me. He said, you know, we need more people like you here. And I'm so glad you're here. Do you have any children? And he went on. I said, yes, I have four children. He said, boy, they're lucky. They're really fortunate to have you. And I'll cut the story right there. I'll just tell you what happened. In the middle of this story, I became very aware of the fact that I had about 13 questions to ask him, but none of them got asked, yet every one of them got answered. Beautiful, right? Yeah. He made me feel, Ross, I'm telling you, I know this isn't really true, but I felt, I felt so important and valued. I felt, I actually felt like I was the most important person to him at that moment in his life. And I probably was. That's how I felt. Now, when you feel that way, you'd have to agree with me. You'd probably do anything that that person would ask you to do, especially if you're his athlete. So at the end of the meeting, <clears throat> I went outside and I had tears in my eyes, literally had water in my eyes. And I was so inspired. And I thought to myself, I would do anything for this man. Had he asked me, would you help us clean the floor? We have to have practice and it's dusty and we're in a hurry. Can you just grab a broom and do it? I would have said, no, I'm not grabbing a broom. I'm going to get down on all fours and I'll lick that floor with my tongue <laughs> until every bit of dust is off that so you can have the perfect floor. I would do anything for him well i didn't do that because he wasn't asked <laughs> and he didn't ask me to do this but i sat down and i put out put down the outline on the way home in the plane from carolina to california and i wrote an outline of of a book that i would write and publish within the year and the name of the book is coaching with heart in that 45 minute session i went from not knowing a person to feeling like I really knew him and would do anything for him. Now that's leadership. And he was there to serve me. His whole intent was to make me feel better. He understood that when you have a certain feeling, you function in a certain way. When you get out of bed in the morning, Ross, and you're feeling really good and you're feeling uplifted and you're feeling confident and you're, you're feeling uh, valued and important and respected and relevant, you're going to have one heck of a good day. If you get out of bed in the morning and you're feeling unworthy, like you don't have enough, you're not good enough, lack of confidence, feeling depressed, it's going to be a tough day. When I left his office, I was feeling elevated emotions of worth, value. My function, I would have done anything. I published the book. That's my story about why it's so important to win the day. Now, in that book, uh, The Competitive Buddha, uh, I have several ways, very specific ways that we can implement in order to win the relationship game. So I would never write that and just say, the relationship game is important. Here's a cool story. Now get out there and win it. So in my book, what I do 
is I make that statement, I tell that story, but then I say, oh, so you're interested in winning this game. Here are some of the things that I've used to win the relationship game in those 115 championship teams. Here's how I win the relationship game with my family. You know, I text my kids and I tell them, I don't say this enough, I say to them. I don't tell you this enough, but you're awesome. I am so fortunate and so honored to be your dad. I love watching you grow. That's the end of the text. So I came up, I came up with this acronym. I call it a jacronym, a Jerry acronym, because I... <laughs> For you, you can call it a racronym. Right, right. So, so <laughs> Ross, if if you come up with an acronym, call it a racronym. Racronym, yeah. So I call it a jacronym, and I. By have the way, I just if I can interject, I love how you also use the term when you send out emails to the team. You call them Jer emails. Jer email, and that <laughs> email, Jer email, Jerry mail, right? <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Uh, so I came up with this jacronym to remind me. Because we all need reminders. I mean, I hope no one's out there listening to me thinking that I've got this down. I don't. I work at this every day. This is my journey. This is the path. You know, I, 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 I live what I teach. And not only that, you might ask the question, well, do you ever get off track? Oh, at least 500 times a day. Just in case you're wondering. But the beauty of knowing these strategies and these skills and these techniques and tools is it can get you back on track. So when I get off track with the relationship game, I have this jacronym. Let's get back to that. And the jacronym is river. And I call it the river effect. And the river effect, the river stands for R is relevant, I is important, V is valued, E is empowered, and R is respected. You'd have to agree with me again that when you feel, I'm talking with you, Ross. Yeah. When you feel relevant and you feel important and valued and empowered and respected, There's nothing, there's nothing that can stop you. No. And, no. and if I'm the person that marinates you or douses you or even baptizes you in the river, when you're with me, I'm going to win your heart. Even if your heart was closed. Because we all crave feeling important. We all want to feel valued. That's human nature. So your heart is going to go, whoop, and then I'm going to jump in. And when I jump in, now, now I've got you, and we're together, and now we can do the real good work, the deeper work, and I can cause some really good trouble. You know, we can cause good trouble together and uh, take risks and step into the unknown and realize how little we know and how we can expand and learn and become life learners together. That's the value of the river effect. Now the book 
goes into detail about this. I use it all the time with my kids, with my wife, and even myself, because it's very important I feel good about myself. When I do this, life goes so much better. And the book with the relationship game talks about that, but it talks about, so we talk about the rule of one. We talked about how to text in a way like I just described. You know, we talked about uh, LUV, right? Listen, understand, and validate. Uh, so there's all kinds of tools and strategies to implement uh, how to win the relationship game. So look what you opened up for me. Mm. What an opportunity you gave me to really to really discuss something I'm so passionate about. Your passion is palpable and in the book as well. And one thing I think our audience will be really interested in is you, what you were just talking about, the river effect, that's in the section, I believe, where you're talking about the noble eightfold path in Buddhism and how that is applied in, in leadership and sport and life. Mm -hmm. And you talk about right speech, one of the, one of the, noble eight eightfold path and uh the river effect is part of that you i want to come back to the first the first point in the noble eightfold path right view because you make it very clear that right view is the foundation the starting point it's essential for all of the other to fall into place well you know as you know uh ross and i know you're very well versed in this uh when you look at the eightfold path the thing that pops off the page, at least for me it did, is the interconnectedness of all of them. Like you can't have right speech without a right view and vice versa. And you can't have right thought without right, I mean, you can't have right speech without right thought. So, so it's almost like they're not individual concepts that stand on their own. They do stand on their own. I shouldn't say that, but I, I believe the message that that I teach and, and what really matters to me is how they're all integrated. But there's one thing that I noticed when I put them all side by side, one thing that did pop off the page to me was uh, right view. And, uh, you know, this, where, where does your view come from, right? Think about this. It comes from your thoughts. You know, it's how you're thinking. It's your view of things. And, and yet there's a, a, a noble path called right thought. So, so the view has a lot to do with uh, how we're looking at, for instance, we talked about uh, competition early on, right? The right view. The right view is that opponent is my partner. The right view is if, if that partner has a better performance than me and I lose, wow, what an opportunity to learn. That loss becomes my guru. It becomes my teacher. And the Tao Te Ching, you know, Lao Tzu wrote the Tao Te Ching, supposedly. We believe that he did. I mean, there's no guarantee. Uh, but uh, in the Tao Te Ching, I think it's verse 15. 43, 53, I forget the verse. It's not important. It says, we lose, yet in this way win. Ah, so I don't have to worry about losing anymore. No, you don't have to worry about losing anymore. In fact, it's part of your journey. And the more you lose, the more you're going to learn. And the more you're going to learn, the better you'll get. 
This is right view. So my opponent is my partner. Loss is my teacher. Imagine, imagine thinking that way. Imagine thinking that it's not about the victory. It's not about the championships. It's about the connection. It's about, it's about competing, compatiere again, for something bigger than any one of us. You know, it's, it's competing because we, we want to be part of something bigger than us. And in order to do that, we have to get out of our own head, get it out of our own way and create a space where other people are welcome, where people can come together for a higher purpose. Um, one of the reasons why I love Native American tradition so much is because their emphasis on family, you know? Like in that one TP, you might find grandfathers, grandmothers, children, mothers and fathers, and even friends sometimes if people need shelter. So it's that kind of open view of life, of gathering people. I see that in the Mexican culture as well. I go to Mexico, well, before COVID, uh, we, we were going to Mexico twice a year and uh, I study Spanish uh, myself. My, my wife is pretty fluent in it. And my, I have three boys right now in Mexico. They're all fluent, you know, it's like, so I have this connection. And why am I so connected? It's because their view to me is right. It, it's a, the family comes first and that connection. And when I train a team, we train as a family, La Familia, and we come together as a connection and we serve each other. And the father and the mother become servants of their children and give them what they deserve. It's not about getting. What am I going to get from my kids? And the kids learn, what am I going to, not what am I going to get from this, is what I'm going to give to this. That, that goes along with the right view. So right view has a lot to do with cooperation. It has a lot to do with collaboration. It has a lot to do with compassion. It has a lot to do with understanding and valuing each other. And that starts with the way we see things. And the way we see things is, to me, our view, our view of things. And then from there, you know, we can go, we can go to the others, you know, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort. What's the other? Mindfulness and Concentration. Concentration. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we have all of that. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Lynch. Dr. Lynch, I really, I wanted to ask you, when you introduce a lot of these concepts to high performing athletes, often these are people that are extreme, intensely competitive. I'm wondering what are the, is this easily embraced by most of, most of them? Or do you find there are common resistances that you run up to and, and how you navigate that? Yes and yes. Okay. Yeah. So uh, yes, uh, initially, initially a lot of resistance. In fact, let me, let me give you this story and, and hopefully I can not get off track here. My career launching book with Al Wong uh, who's an amazing person in and of himself, was Thinking Body, Dancing Mind. 
that with that book came everything. I mean, without that book, I wouldn't be where I am today. When I first wrote that book, I presented it to uh, 14 publishers. And I did not have an agent at the time. It was my third book, my third chance. And it was a very different book for me to write. The others were pretty straightforward. The other two. 14 times I was told no. Why? Because they weren't ready for this. I didn't know that though. I thought I was not on track. And, and, and I thought something was wrong with my thinking. And I questioned it. So after the first three rejections, you can imagine how I felt when I got my fourth one. That, that's, that's enough. Most people would say, that's the end. I, I, I don't have anything here. But then the fifth one came, and the sixth, and the seventh, and the eighth, and the ninth. And I can keep counting up to 14. My gosh, why don't you quit? What's wrong with you? But I believed in it. I worked individually with athletes, not teams at the time. And I knew that it made sense. I knew that athletes craved what I was saying. I could tell, I could hear it. They told me. And as an athlete myself, I used it for great success, these concepts. So finally, I reached out to Al Wong, who, by the way, uh, finished, was uh, a very dear friend of Alan Watts. Wow. He finished Alan Watts's last book when Alan Watts died, Dow the Watercourse Way. So that's who I'm reaching out to. Oh. He was also very, very close friends of Joseph Campbell and Friedrich Copra, Dow of Physics and others. And, and I knew this about him, but I said, you know what? I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to get in contact with him. This is before email. This is before uh, uh, cell phones, anything. You know, I had to write, I wrote a handwritten letter to him <laughs> and sent it to his center. And I said, just tell me I'm right or wrong. That's all I need because I need encouragement to go forward. I don't, I didn't look for his help or anything. I just wanted, am I crazy? Here's a guy who finished Alan Watts' last book and I'm, I'm writing concepts about Tao and he's Chinese, right? So he, he should know. He gets back to me after he gets the letter immediately, like three days later. And he says, Jerry, this is Al Wong. And I'm kind of shaking in my boots thinking, oh my God, what do I say now? I reached out to the top, right? And I say to Al, I, I said to him, Jung Liang is his Chinese name. I call him Jung Liang. And I, uh, he said to me, I read your material and I think it's brilliant. It's like, what? <laughs> you, you have the same guy? I've just been rejected 14 times for publication. You're calling this brilliant. And he said to me, look, I'm coming out to California. I'm going to be in Esalen Institute. And he said, would you be willing to come down and see me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I went down there as nervous as I was. I, I got out of my box and stepped into the unknown, frightened to death, but knew I had to take that risk. One, le one thing led to another. And uh, it wound up that Thinking Body, Dancing Mind, I, I got it published with Bantam Books, who had declined me, was one of the 14 that I had applied with. They, they turned it down, they, which told me they didn't even read it.
They just, no, no, no. But when they got the proposal through Al Wong, who she knew from the books that he had written with Alan Watts and what have you, the publisher was wide open to it. Mm. And within one weekend, they got back to Al and he said, we want this book. To your question, I had the resistance when that was done and Thinking Body came out. I can't say it was clear sailing. There was still a little resistance, but what happened was I got more confidence. Mm. I become more certain. I became more fluid and, and connected with the material. And uh, people put, picked up on that. They didn't buy the book as much as they bought who I was and who I was being. And they wanted a piece. Of, if, if, if he's like that, I want a piece of that. How do you, whatever, you know? So after that, the resistance went down and down and down. And, and I'm at a place right now that people, that there's no resistance. Uh, if there is, uh, they, they just don't read my stuff and they're not aware of what they can read and, and what have you. Uh, but I get invitations all the time from people all over the world uh, to give keynotes, talks, and conferences, whatever. Uh, and you know what? They, they get it. They understand. And, and uh, that's the people I want to work with. I want people who understand and come to me and say, Jerry, this really makes sense. We want to go further. And so when when the, te when the student is ready, the teacher appears. You know, there was a lot of people not ready for this. But once they got ready, uh, so I'm happy to say that, I'm thrilled to say that I, I haven't had that feeling of having to sell my work. All I say to people is, if, if you let me, I will make a difference in your life. If you let, give me the chance. And they say, sure, we would love to have that difference made. So. I'm very blessed. That's beautiful. This, I think there's, there's some great audience questions here. If you're open Let's to go for them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I, okay. I might not, I might not, I just want to say ahead of time, uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure I have answers, but uh, I'll, I'll reflect upon every question. And if there's something I can't speak to, I'll, I'll just be honest about it. That's let's, a refreshing, that's a refreshing uh, approach. Yeah. Let's, let's give it a shot. Okay, thanks. So the, this one's from Kyle, and, and I think it, it dovetails with what we were just talking about. Kyle says, where should I, as a member of a team, start with applying these principles? How can I bring my teammates into the circle? Ah, Kyle, Kyle, what a beautiful, insightful, uh, important question. You've got to start within yourself. You can't talk about it. You have to be it. So if you read the competitive Buddha as an example, and there are other books too, like Win the Day would be a good one. Win the Day is one of my best sellers now too. Uh, either way, when something jumps off the page and, and it hits you between the eyes and you say, yes, that's the way I want to be. We'll be that way. And, and, and learn from the way I help you to, to, uh, to implement a certain change in your life. Once you start making these changes, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to be very happily surprised. People are going to come up to you and say, you know, I notice a difference in you. You're being a certain way now. How do you know about that? Or how did you learn that? They will see it through who you are. 
Remember, people don't buy my book, they buy who I am. And, and then the book is a reflection of that. So your teammates will not buy a book. They will not buy a, a flag that you wave. Uh, they will not buy uh, a way that, that, other, that works for other people. They wanna feel from you what's working for you. And then when they see you happy and they see your changes are really positive, they're gonna come up and have that conversation with you. God, so, so what book was that that you read? Oh, I read The Competitive Buddha or I read uh, The Tao Te Ching or I read whatever. Uh, really? So then you'll get someone to read. Then they'll join you and then you'll have conversations. So teammates, uh, I go into a team. Like right now, I'm working with three athletes that are on a team. So I helped one athlete. One athlete noticed it. So he came to me as a client and then the third one. So I have three clients. By a client, I have... Uh, and you can do this with me too. Uh, there's a little waiting list, but don't worry about it. I'll, I want to make a difference in your life, so I'll get to you. But uh, these clients come to me, and now I'm starting to help them make changes on their team, in their culture. The coach hasn't gotten it yet. And they go up to their coach and they talk, and the coach says, eh, I'm not ready yet. So I told, I told one of the athletes, I said, next time you talk to your coach, tell them that I have a consultancy with Steve Kerr from the Warriors. Just tell them that. And that I know Phil Jackson. All right. So he goes up and tells the coach this. He says, really? So what's his website? So now he goes to my website. Now he sees the work and the people I've worked with and everything else. Now the coach is telling him, do you think he would come up here and work with us? Anyway, Kyle, that's how it happens. It's grassroots. It's organic. You can't force this. You can't prove it. You can't push it. You can't make it happen. You just have to be a certain way. And when I'm being the way I want to be, which is the best version of myself at this point in my life, and don't get me wrong, I got a long way to go. You know, I might be halfway there at my age. I don't know. But boy, there's a lot to learn. And so just take it on one step at a time, one little, you know, understand the concepts of, of impermanence and letting go and selflessness. Oh, my. You start giving to your friends, your teammates, they're going to notice that. What's, with, what's up with Carl? Kyle, you know, what'd you have for breakfast? What's in your Kool-Aid? That kind of thing. They're going to be very curious. I know from the story I just told you with that coach, how to infiltrate and how to get it done. Don't hit anyone over the head with it because they're never going to listen to you. If I've hit you over the head, I'm wasting my time, right? Thank you for the question. It was excellent. Thank you, Kyle. And thank you, Dr. Lynch. Um, Here's a question that dovetails. Uh, you mentioned Steve Kerr in, in your answer there. And there's a question from Darren who says, I very much enjoyed watching the documentary, The Last Dance, about the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. The series features a lot about Phil Jackson and his spiritual influences and approach to working with sports. It also features Steve Kerr extensively in the documentary. I know that you have worked a lot with both Phil Jackson and Steve Kerr. Can you say a bit about these two figures and experience working with them? <clears throat> Darren, thank you for your question. Again, it's very penetrating, very profound. I find it uh, very stimulating. Uh, so this is my opportunity to clarify my relationships with these icons. Uh, Stephen, first of all, 
how did I meet Steve? Well, I met Steve because Phil Jackson was one of those coaches who would give books out to people, his teammates, like Michael Jordan. So he gave Michael Jordan a copy of Thinking Body, Dancing Mind. He gave Kobe Bryant a copy of my Way of the Champion. That's the way Phil was. So in the beginning, my relationship with Phil was over the books. He loved Thinking Body, Dancing Mind and wanted to uh, use it with his team. One of the team members was Steve Kerr. And uh, Steve Kerr started reading Thinking Body. And then he, I believe he got traded. Uh, no, maybe he didn't. I don't know if he went to the Cleveland Cavaliers after that or he was there before then. I'm trying to, my memory, anyway. The point is that Steve Kerr got a hold of that book and became a fan. And according to him, his, his words, uh, he said that uh, reading, reading my books has changed his way of looking at sports and his way of looking at life completely. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm like, believe me, um, I'm humble, very humbled by that because I also know, this is where my hum humility comes from. I know that what I'm talking about and what I'm writing it's like I'm a flute. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hole in a flute. And, and, and the breath of, of brilliant people like Joseph Campbell or Alan Watts and, and others and co great iconic coaches, the breath of them comes through me. And where does it go? It goes to you through my writing, right? So I, I never want to lose track of that, my beginnings and who I am, really. Having said that, uh, so Steve wound up reading just about all my books. Uh, the, the, uh, the Competitive Buddha, he wrote a beautiful, uh, Ross, you're nodding yes, because you've read it. He wrote a beautiful uh, uh, forward to that book. And he gave me much more credit than I deserve. And Phil gives me a lot of credit and writes endorsements for my work. I never sat down with Phil and worked with him directly. It was always indirectly either over the internet or it was, I never worked with his team, just like I don't work with any of the players on the Warriors, but I work with the coaches and some of the coaching staff. And Steve is one of them. And uh, of course I've met Steve in person and you know we've, we've had many, many, many conversations uh, about performance. And uh, you know, there have been a lot of times he's relied on what he feels is my wisdom in terms of uh, uh, attacking a, an element of performance with his athletes. And he takes some of what I say and he puts it on a whiteboard and before a game, he might just call attention to the athletes about this. And I, I told him inconclusively that uh, this is not something I want credit for. It's something that I'm gonna give to you and then you own it and then you tell him what you believe. And, and he's, been, he's been doing that. So it's been a wonderful consultancy from the beginning, from 2015 when he became a coach but I followed his career and, and we've been in touch all through, you know, even when he was a broadcaster and uh, he was a general manager for the Phoenix Suns. And I'm still in touch with Phil to this, this day. In fact, I have another book coming out. I'm going to mention it. Uh, I've written three books in three years. Oh. Yeah. The reason I did that is because I had been traveling and I'm a, I'm a fanatical writer. Uh, I'm a binge writer. <laughs> Uh, I'm like, you know, maybe I should 
join Writers Anonymous or something because <laughs> I'm addicted to it. But I All wrote three responses. books. Three, three books. Uh, this uh, competitive Buddha is one, and that's why I'm here today. But the other one comes out the end of April, and I'm going to take a moment just to tell you what it is. Please. Uh, it's called uh, Everyday Champion Wisdom. And both Steve and Phil have written beautiful uh, endorsements for it. And I finally didn't ask Steve to write the forward because I just don't want to ask him to do one more thing for me. He's done so much. Uh, but I've asked Dave Aranda, and Dave has done the forward. Dave is uh, the Big 12. He's the coach of the year, head Bay Baylor University football coach, coach of the year, won the Big 12, won the Sugar Bowl, in his mid-40s, up and coming, just the most amazing coach. But that's not why I have him do the forward. I have him do the forward because he's a lot like Steve and Phil. They're very, very mindful coaches. They're very much servant leaders. I would never have a big name on my book unless they were able to demonstrate what I'm teaching. And that's important to understand because I'm, I'm not impressed by fame. I say, I'm around fame all the time. What I'm impressed about is those people who have fame, how are they using their influence? You know, like a Steve Kerr is using his influence with gun control. When he writes a forward to me, he's using his influence to help change the lives of thousands and thousands of people who will read my book. When Phil writes a, a forward, which he's done, or, or an endorsement, I'm not impressed by his fame. I mean, he's accomplished a lot, but that's not what really drives me. And that's not what attracts me. What attracts me is that what fame, what his fame can do. And when I have his name on my book and people see that and they respect Phil, uh, then we're going to have an impact and he's going to make a difference in the world through my writing. So I just wanted to clarify some of those things. Uh, hopefully, Darren, I answered the question. I, I tend to go on and on and on. And I just... You did. You did answer his question for sure, okay. as far as I could tell from what he wrote. Okay, good, good. Thank you. And thanks, Darren. Uh, there's, a, there's a question from Eileen, and she also put in a couple of comments. So I'll start with her question. She says, thank you, Banyan Books, for introducing me to authors that speak to my heart. I have a backstory. We all do but I have been deeply touched and connected to the Buddha way of understanding in life or of understanding life. Buddha, nature, bringing forth my best game in order to see what I've not understood otherwise about myself. I am 70 and was told to stop running in my 50s. Today, I'm thinking and wanting to see what is possible to achieve at my age. Suppose I live 30 more years. I'm curious about what is possible. Do you have any comments on that, Dr. Lynch? Oh, my. Oh, my. Eileen, is that her name? Yeah. Listen, Eileen, I don't know if we'll have enough time. I'm going to do my best. First of all, I'm so glad that uh, a representative of the female gender has, has asked a question. I like representation. I like diversity, inclusivity, and representation. So thank you for that. Your question is awesome. Uh, <clears throat> so you have you have so much more. Uh, I'm a good example. I still run and bike at my age. I'm quite a bit older than you, 
it's not important what my chronological age is, it's my spirit age. And I feel like I'm like 30. I've got all the energy in the world and I've got all of the dreams that, that are possible for me aligned. <clears throat> what you do is you, you need to create a vision of what you desire, what you want in your life and create a roadmap to your future by living it now. I can, I use my imagination and I can imagine, for instance, I'll give you an example. I imagine being here today with you. I imagined how I wanted to be. I mean, I'm a human being, you know, and, and we can get thrown off. There's, there's some real chaos going on out there. I can tell you, I don't have to dive into it, but there's some chaos going on. And, and I'm, not, I'm not joining it right now because I took my imagination and placed it right here where it, deserve, where, where it needs to be. I'm here for a reason, to make a difference. I'm here for you, Eileen, and others like you. I can't, I don't know how to begin emphasizing the importance of dreaming. Dream things that never were and ask why not. You know, at the age of 67, I won my last race against 300 people whose average age was 31. And they didn't believe it. The fun thing about winning that race, it was my last race I ever ran. I ran it in a really highly competitive time. It wasn't like the others were not runners. It was a legitimate win. And the nice thing about that was after the race, that next morning, I was there to go in and give a keynote talk to that audience. And I had a lot of listeners because of what I had done. Now, how did I do that? I just don't limit my thinking. Why not? It doesn't matter whether I win. It doesn't matter whether I lose. What matters is that I enter the arena. I want to enter the arena and get dirt on my face. I want to get outside my box and I want to step into the unknown. It's uncomfortable, but it's the only way to have a growth mindset. And the older you get, if you look at your friends who are 70 and older, they get very stiff, very tight, very rigid. The last thing I want to do, of course, the greatest rigidity is rigor mortis, right? And that's death, <laughs> right? So don't go toward rigor mortis. Open, stay open. Stay flexible, literally and figuratively, in your mind and in your body and in your heart. There's nothing that you cannot do if you want to do it. And, and so my words might not convince you of that, but I have so many examples of experiences that I have had personally and people that I work with who just refused to buy in to the limits and the fear, OMG, the fear, right? Fear is the cancer of the athletic soul, of the human soul. And the only, the only cure for that cancer, you ready for this? The only cure is faith. And by faith, I don't mean religion. By faith, I mean the willingness, the eagerness, you need to be eager about this, to 
believe that all is possible. Believe in possibilities, not disabilities. Feel, feel it in your meditation. You talked about how Buddhism has influenced your life. I'm certain without even knowing you, you more than likely have taken on a practice of meditating. In your meditative state, when you stop looking at your breath and noticing your breath, notice, notice the feelings of elevated emotions and joy and happiness and confidence that one gets when you're using your imagination to feel a certain way, to feel loose and fluid and relaxed and calm when you're out there running on a trail or riding a bike, whatever you're doing. So it's stepping into the unknown and people are afraid of the unknown. So they stay in the safety of their box. When you go outside the unknown, when you go outside the box, you step into the unknown, which is terribly terrifying, but it's extremely rewarding. And that's the place where we find out who we are, where we're going, and who we're taking with us. And that's the key. I remember one of my favorite authors, Ray Bradbury. Perhaps you've read something about Ray Bradbury, science fiction and what have you. I love this quote. He said, most people in the world, maybe 98%, that's my interjection, right? They approach a cliff in life. <laughs> Picture this, use your imagination. And they get to the edge of the cliff and they look down and they don't jump. And the reason is they're waiting, they're waiting to get a set of wings so that they can jump. And he said, when you step outside the box, you jump anyway and you build your wings on the, on the way down, and you have the faith that someone will come to your rescue, that there will be something on the way down that you'll see that you would never have seen before standing on top of the, the cliff. And you'll see something and people will reach out to you and have the faith that you'll land on your own two feet or that there's a safety net waiting for you. I have been taking risks all my life. I'm a risk taker. I've learned to be uncomfortable, comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's why I talk about it. Life is uncertain. We have no guarantees, but we have choices. And we make that choice to go forward into the unknown. And we have faith in human potential that we can see and feel the possibilities. And all the other friends of yours who don't think this way, I'm sorry. Sometimes you got to leave them behind. I don't mean like never talk to them again. I mean, just don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. There are a lot of great spirits out there thinking like what I'm talking about. And uh, I want you to be one of them. Thanks, Dr. Lynch. And thanks, Eileen. I'll just share a couple of snippets. She, she put in a couple more comments. At one point, she said, I'm weeping listening to Jerry speak. Oh, my gosh. Listening, I, she said, I wish I had one teacher like Jerry in my life. I guess that is what brought me to learning about Buddha. Meditation is helping me see the right view. And she also said, I will be ordering your book after the end of this wonderful talk. So glad I'm here. Yeah, and uh, I don't think you're right, Eileen. I don't think this is a talk, and I don't think you believe that. I think it's been a connection. Mm. It's been a conversation facilitated by Ross. Uh, and, uh, 
in this conversation, we've all been part of it, even if we haven't had time to hear our voices, but you certainly made your voice known. And uh, it, uh, I'm, I'm humbled by your, your, your comments. And, uh, but I'm also very inspired by your comments to keep going. And I wrote three books in three years. I think I'm gonna have to write another one uh, in this next year. I've got one on the back burner, but I just, you know, gosh, thank you so much for those comments. Thank you, Eileen. And thank you to everybody for all your great questions. We got to as many as we could. And uh, just a big thanks to the Banyan community in general. Your support is really felt. And as Jerry said, this is a connection. We always appreciate this live audience that's here. And of course, huge thanks as always to Jacob Steele, who curates all of the Banyan events and produces this podcast and to the ownership of Banyan and uh, everyone from the front of store and in the back of the store who makes uh, Banyan what it is. Uh, Dr. Jerry Lynch, Doc Jay, we've been speaking to him about his newest book, The Competitive Buddha, How to Up Your Game in Sports, Leadership, and Life. And, and Dr. Lynch, it's, it's been really, really a treat to speak to you today. Uh, you just have such a wonderful presence and, and way of presenting these ideas. So thank you so much. Thank you. I'm, I'm wondering if you might leave us with thoughts. There was a couple of questions that came through and I, I wanted to ask you about this too. We didn't get to it. Maybe just a few brief thoughts on, you know, the upcoming generation, you know, the youth um, and what any words of wisdom you might have for them in terms of how to approach competition from this, this Buddhist mindset. Well, I think uh, actually uh, I have, four young children. When I say young, uh, three of them in their thirties. Uh, one is 25. Uh, the oldest is 38. And uh, I observe them and I feel I have a pull and I work with a lot of young athletes, uh, a lot of athletes between the ages of 18 and 36 at the professional level and college. And uh I notice some patterns and, and, and I really do believe that this generation has an amazing responsibility as well as an opportunity to make significant change in the world. I didn't have enough in my youth. I didn't have enough mentors. I didn't have enough teachers. When I got older, I sought them out as I did with Al Wong and you know others. I just, I just want to encourage people. I don't know how to put this any other way than you're wasting your life if you don't take advantage of the opportunity to make a difference in this world. And you've got the energy, you've got the know-how, you've got the great minds. Uh, there's more information available to you than I've ever had. Um, Oh, I heard about, I'll come back to that. Uh, just let me take a little digression. I heard something the other day, Ross, that if you read one day, New York Times, the entire New York Times, what, not, not Sunday, just a day, that you will absorb more information than people in the 1600s learned in their entire life. 
Now, that is mind boggling. So let's use that as a jumping board, a diving board into this vast sea of information that most of us seem to be drowning with. There's a lot of wisdom out there. And what I notice when I'm working with younger people, my partner is much younger than me, uh, maybe 25 years. That's considerable. What I notice is that a lot of people are much further ahead than I was at that age. Ross, you're, you're way ahead of where I was at your age. Um, once I got it and then I accelerated all my learning and, and, and I'm an open sponge and, and everything comes in, right? And, and I, I make sure I have these connections and these people and I'm always learning and okay. But what I notice about the youth to this question is that, wow, you're way ahead of me. I tell that to all my clients when I, when I can say it and it's truthful and, and I'm not going to lie to them. I'm not going to tell it the person's not. I mean, I know where I know where I was at 30. I know where I was at 40 and 50 and 60. I know where I was developmentally. And my excitement is that the young people that I'm meeting, they're way the heck ahead of me at that age. Part of the reason, uh, and this is no ego involvement, is part of the reason is they have me there to help them learn this stuff. And but I know they crave it. So I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of it. And I didn't think I craved it at that age. But so at 18 and 19, they're learning about all the things I talked about today because I'm there as their coach. And, but there are other people teaching them as well. So I'm so encouraged and I'm so inspired by young people. They just seem to be so much further along than I, than I was at that age. And if that's the case, then you have a responsibility. I'm sorry, you need to take a hold of, of this responsibility and you need to serve. Because if you're not going to serve in this life, when are you? And, and that's the whole purpose of my life is to serve and give back. And the irony of it is the more I give, the more I get. So don't worry about getting. Put that on the back burner. Don't worry about it. And don't serve to get. Just serve because it feels so good to serve. And it becomes a much better world. When you give to everyone. You know, what's the purpose of me making food? And if someone stops by to not offer them a dish would you like to join us for dinner why not boy the smile on their face and what they would do how that would help them to do the same thing what a better world it is so we have this responsibility unfortunately and now here comes the bad news even though we have all that i don't know how this happened but i also noticed that so many people are self-indulgent they're afraid they're self-indulgent. They're entitled. Self-indulgence and entitlement comes from fear, and that's the fear of not having enough. I'm afraid I'm not going to have enough. So what we do is I want to get, I want to get, I want to take, I want to have, right? That's fear. But when you come from love, love isn't a getting word. Love is a giving word. It's in, actually love is a verb. It's giving. When you give, you get. Not necessarily what you gave, but you get back. What do you get? You get a feeling of connection. You get a feeling that you're making a difference. It creates meaning in your life. 
And I'll tell you, when you make a difference and you have love, you get love back and you have meaning in your life and a purpose, that's why you're here. And you will, I will guarantee you that you will find happiness. And that's, that's my take on the younger generation. I'm excited. I'm inspired. But I'm a little bit cautious and aware that my own kids, I mean, I'm talking about my own kids. I can see at times they get afraid and they get selfish. And they're afraid of giving because they're afraid they're not going to have enough. So I don't hammer them over the head with it. All I do is I keep giving to them. And then they say, wow, dad, you don't have to do that for me. I say, I know, I, I really love giving to you. Oh my gosh, it makes me feel good. They feel good. So it's a learning process. I want to encourage everybody to, to find out their true meaning in this lifetime. What a question. And what is that <laughs> mean, right? Dr. Gary Lynch, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. It's been a real pleasure. It's uh, for me. It's been more than pleasure. It's 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 been uh, it's been amazing, Ross. And I, I so appreciate you taking the time and doing this. And thank you for inviting me. And uh, I'll say it once again. I've had nothing but amazing experiences in Vancouver. The next time I get up there, I'm definitely going to stop into the store. We'd love to see you. Oh, gosh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for Branches of Wisdom, a podcast of Banyan Books and Sound, Canada's spiritual and healing resource since 1970. Our podcast producer is Jacob Steele. The show is edited by Abdo Habani. Watch all our conversations on YouTube by searching for Banyan Books or listen on your favorite podcast platform. Please subscribe, follow, like, and leave your reviews and comments. We love to hear from you. For all our live events, books, and more, visit us at banyan.com.